Welcome to Your True Calling. I'm so glad you're here. I'm Dr. Michelle Chapel, a psychologist and a rock star. I've helped thousands of people find their true purpose by discovering their one-of-a-kind superpowers. Each week, I'll share tools and client success stories to help you find gifts you don't know you have so that you can thrive in a career that fills your soul and passion projects that make you feel whole. Hello, everyone. It is my honor to be talking to Reverend Dr. Sunshine Michelle Coleman today. She is a senior minister of Oakland Center for Spiritual Living in California. She has a doctorate. She's been a human resources leader, and she's also a coach, consultant, workshop facilitator, inspirational speaker, and author. The reason why I asked her to be on this show is because she is an expert on authentic self-expression and being yourself in the world. Let's get into it. Hi, Reverend Dr. Sunshine Michelle. I am so glad that you're here on my podcast today. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for inviting me, Michelle. It's lovely to see you again after so long. I know, it's lovely to see you too. I listened to a sermon of yours pretty recently. It's about light within the shadows. And as I was listening to you, I just kept thinking, my God, we have so many similar values and perspectives on authenticity and living on purpose. You would be perfect for this podcast. So I'm glad you said yes. Yeah, me too. You're true calling. I love that. <laughs> Thank you. I can't wait to hear what you have to say about that. Yeah, for sure. so, yeah. So this podcast, I think you already know this, but in case there's new listeners, it's designed to help people find gifts, passions that they don't know that they have that come naturally to them, but for some reason they're not aware of them yet and how those gifts can lead them to their calling. So that's what a lot of the discussion is about. And you have worn so many hats. I, I think I'll just start with how I know you, which is being a minister. Right. Yeah, you are a senior minister uh, of Oakland Center for Spiritual Living in California. That's right. I sing in uh, the New Thought churches in that circle. And I honestly, that's one of my favorite churches in the whole country. Yay. <laughs> it's good. It's got a great vibe and just great presence and spirit there. Every time I've gone there, I've always felt it. So yeah. good job. Oh, well, thank you. I appreciate that. I've been in the New Thought movement um, through Centers for Spiritual Living mostly, but also in unity for over four decades. Wow. Long time. Yeah. I'm going to ask you about that. But I thought what I would do, since you do wear so many hats, right? so I thought what might be interesting for listeners, because a lot of them are younger, is if I could trace back to earlier in your life, so that we could sort of see how you started out and how you landed where you are now. I'm not sure we'll be able to dive into all of those things, but the thing that caught my ear in your sermon was that at one point you thought about being a model. And I can see why you would. You're a beautiful woman. Oh, thank um, you so much. <laughs> you're welcome. But I would I'd just like to know a little bit more about what drew you to that 
Um, and why eventually did you decide that wasn't for you? I think it might be nice for people who are trying on different careers right now to see if they fit. That's a great place to start, actually. I hadn't really connected the two necessarily until you told me a little earlier that you were interested in hearing about the modeling piece. Um, you know, pretty as a as a freshman in college, right after high school, I was in Los Angeles and um, and wanted to model. Uh, I had aspirations to be a top model, you know, so to do that as a uh, a bustling career, um, not necessarily connected to the educational degree that I was pursuing, but anyway, I even went to New York as a, a late teenager, early twenties, and just tried to strike out and and explore. And I went to a couple of modeling agencies, cold call with my portfolio, just to try and see and crack into it. And I did some modeling in in Los Angeles where I was, but actually the reason why I didn't pursue it further is because at least at the time and still a little bit now that I felt that I would have to become something that I didn't feel comfortable with or that I didn't feel um, I wanted to do. Like, you know, as they sometimes say, you have to sell your soul to get where you want to get. And I didn't want to do that. And I, and you know how the modeling industry and the, you know, sometimes in the art world and in, in some careers, especially in glamour cities like Los Angeles and New York and places like that with the glitz and glam, you, you do have to kind of put yourself in situations that um, at, at the time I learned I didn't value. Mm. So I went a different direction and I got into corporate career and that sort of thing. But the reason why I found this so interesting though, Michelle, and I'm still like pursuing that same type of topic, which is my passion of authentic self-expression and being yourself. So that was kind of an initial start into that is that um, I didn't feel like I, I could be who I was and still pursue that career. I had to be something else. Uh, and I was always after this, you know, who am I? Um, and, and learned that I was trying to please others. Mm. And, you know, you have to deep, deep, dig deep in order to be able to discover that, at least I did. And that's where the spirituality came in. So kind of simultaneously, I was getting into my, my own spiritual endeavors and learning more about myself spiritually and beginning to practice um, spiritual tools and practices or what have you in what I now call, and it's in my doctorate, I call it the putter process, putter, P-U-D-R. Peel, uncover, discover, and recover your true authentic self and who you are. And the way you do that is to really look. You have to want to see what's in there. And sometimes you may not like what you see, but you can, you know, you can change that at any moment. You can you can change your mind and go a different direction. If you don't like something, you can heal it, you can change it. And so that's how I've learn to express fully as who I am by realizing that I was, you know, trying to please others. There's another one in my doctorate called the IDC factor, IDC, the I don't care factor. 
<laughs> Meaning I had to learn how to not care about what others thought of me and put me first. Now, some people, you know, I know one person in particular who just didn't like the way that sounded. And I don't mean that I didn't care about people. That's not what I said. I had to learn to pay attention less, said differently, to what others thought of me rather and pay more attention to what I thought of me and what I really wanted to do in order to accept myself for who I am, what I am, what I want to do, and to springboard from there. So, you know, it all kind of started with not knowing what I wanted to do and, 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 uh, just knowing though deep within, like during that modeling time, that it just didn't feel good to me. Yeah. And so I, I preferred to leave it rather than to pursue it. Yeah, that's a great answer. And I think a lot of listeners are just starting out in their lives. So they don't know that they don't have to figure it out the first time. You know, I think they feel from what I've understood, they're feeling a lot of pressure to nab it, you know, before 30. And you don't necessarily do that. And that's okay, because experimenting with things is part of the way that you find out. But also, I think you're talking about having more inner direction, like reflecting more on who you are. Right, right. Inward. And, you know, I believe quite the opposite. I've learned to uh, accept mistakes and that I feel that I've made or missteps as great springboards and learning opportunities rather than beating myself up about it, just to simply pause and reflect and say, hmm, you know, what worked well, what would I do differently and do that without making yourself feel so bad about it. And knowing that that makes you it, it the experience that much more rich. If you can look at it like that, instead of beating yourself up about it. Yeah, there's a, a psychologist named Carol Dweck. I don't know if you've heard of her. She, uh, I think she's at Berkeley and she talks about having a growth mindset. So it's okay to fail or not do really well on something as long as you have the attitude that you can learn and grow. That's it, exactly. Yeah. That's it. And I believe that, you know, the putter process is what I called it, the peel, uncover, discover, and recover, that we first have to have our own inquiry and, you know, to be uh, curious about what's going on. Like if something strikes you a certain way, like I felt uncomfortable about, you know, how I was feeling in the modeling world because I, I didn't feel it was genuine or whatever it is, that if I explore within myself, why I feel like that and really take that in and through some exercises or what have you, just simply reflecting, then I'll learn something about that, that I can face off with it and reconcile with it if it's something that needs healing. And then I can learn to, you know, blossom from there and accept myself for who I am. And as I do that with myself first, it's almost like looking in the mirror then I can turn the mirror the other way and reflect out into the world from a different place, from a more authentic place. And then as I interact with people, then it's more genuine. It's mm -hmm. more authentic. It's with integrity. That's where you can have difficult conversations, perhaps, or honest conversations. And they may not go as bad as you thought they might go. 
you yeah. know, just right. because you're being honest with yourself and therefore you're being honest with someone else rather than hiding it and, and then harboring resentment from within. Yes. And you're bringing more, more of yourself forward too, because you're not holding parts of yourself back. Because I remember you talking about that in your sermon. I'm actually going to just skip to that because there were a couple of things you said in the sermon that I actually jotted notes down. We have a choice in everything we do. And you were asking us, are you willing to grow, to develop, to dig deeper? And you said something about how we're trained to fear the dark, but the shadows are juicy and fertile, you said. You can find the light in the shadows uh, to surrender what you resist persists to feel the emotions versus pushing them away and reaching for wholeness. I'd love to hear more about that. That reminds me so much of Carl Jung. It, it, did mm-hmm. you study Carl Jung? Cause it's yeah. so, okay. That's I was, cause well, not was, deeply, but it's, it's metaphysically where I believe and uh, spiritually where I believe. Um, and, and over the last couple of years, actually post pandemic or during the pandemic really helped me. It was a tough time. Uh, for many people, including me. And I was grappling with some things and trying to figure out which direction I wanted to go because my career was changing and I was finishing up the doctorate and I was in isolation. So I was by myself and it was just hard. It was so difficult. And the way I got through it is through prayer and spiritual practice. I mean, I just kept coming back to it. And even though I didn't feel the light necessarily, I felt in darkness, I persevered one moment at a time. I just kept going. And what I learned from those times, uh, let me give you an example. So there was this one time during this time period where I woke up, I'm very intuitive and I process in my sleep. So a lot of times I get creative juices and hits from that, but I woke up feeling lost that was the emotion that I felt. I could, it was like it was blazoned over my forehead, lost. And it just was, it, it just engulfed me. And it was like, oh my goodness, what do I do with this thing? And so I, you know, I just kept at it though. I just took one step at a time, you know, and it, it's kind of like a crossroads. You can allow it to take you down an abyss and, you know, where you go into a depression or you can let yourself rather than resisting that dark place that you're in is that you lean in with, with a different attitude and awareness with a curiosity and wonderment mm-hmm. of, you know, tell me more like leaning in. I love that practice is like lean in, tell me more. What do you have to offer me rather than fearing and thinking, Oh my goodness, I can't look at this. What if you do look at it? And then you, I found the fortitude and the faith to be able to do that. And so I leaned in more to the darkness and found that it wasn't as scary as I thought. You know, I had my night vision goggles on, but, you know, so that I could see better or that I wasn't afraid of not seeing. Rebecca Solnit has a book that I love called uh, A Field Guide to Getting Lost. (laughs) And I recommend you get it. It's so great. And she basically talks about getting intentionally lost so that you can be found. Oh, it's all it's about shifting perspective. Right. I mean, we, if you think of how we're socialized, we're socialized into fear. Yeah. Fear. We're socialized into thinking a certain way about ourselves, about our families, about others. And if we can catch ourselves in that bias 
or in that fear and 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 see it for what for what it is even if it doesn't feel good like you you know if somebody may say oh that's a racist comment you say no no I'm not, that, that's not me that's not racist but if you let yourself settle down and say well what if I was or that or arrogant you know that was so arrogant of you no I'm not arrogant I'm not you know and it's like well that's arrogant in and of itself hmm what if it was true <laughs> What if it was, let me lean in and hear, what would I do differently? When I did that through this period of feeling lost, I dealt with arrogance and, you know, things came up for me that helped me to see it a different way. The more I leaned in, the more it opened up. Mm -hmm. The more I leaned in, the more it opened up. And then I saw light. Eventually, it wasn't all at once. Eventually, I felt more myself. Mm. You know, I saw the light. I felt like I was coming out of that thing and I came out of it richer. Yeah. And I attributed it to being able to lean into the dark, you know, and that's where in that sermon or one of them during that time period, you know, I talk about you need the darkness in order to be able to see the stars. Yes. Twinkle. You need the darkness to see the fireworks. You know, you need the, the darkness is where that womb space, where the, the fetus gestates and turns into a baby, mm -hmm. right? And so it's, it, and it's warm and nurtured and it's home. So imagine that that baby, you know, might have some trepidation coming out into the world. It doesn't want to leave that warm, dark place. But it has to. And then what happens? It comes out into the bright lightness, noises and all this stuff. I'm imagining. Right. Yeah. But um, if we flip it and think differently about the dark, then it has so much. It, it is rich and it is juicy and it has so much to inform us about. I think that's wonderful. I think a lot of people are trying to avoid the dark by watching a lot of television, being on social media all the time, going, 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 because you also talked about this in your sermon, but we're just a very can-do, go, 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 go society, and we're always on the run, and it's hard to reflect. It's hard to sit with darkness, and I think a lot of us aren't even aware that we're doing it. Well, and the other piece of that is I believe once you sit and if you open your, I think people are afraid of it, Michelle, this is the bottom line. Mm. is because they're afraid of what they'll find and that they, once you see it, and one of my teachers years and years and years ago said, once you know, you can never not know again. Right. So then you have to be accountable to what you know, even if it means that you have to lose the notion that I'm unworthy. When you realize that, oh, no, you are worthy, then I have to be in full acceptance. Yeah. You know, so th there's accountability in there. It's responsibility to own into your power. Some people don't want to do that. It, it can be scary. Yeah, I do. <laughs> That's why I'm talking to you. <laughs> I'm in the middle of working on that, but I do. I think I'm always working on that. It's a lifelong lesson. Don't you think? <laughs> yes. We never get there. I mean, we, we hit the milestones, but we never like fully arrive. We're always traveling, journey. Yeah. 
I think also I'm coming from a psychologist point of view, because that's what I got my doctorate in. And I want to talk to you about your doctorate as well. But I, you know, so many of us are conditioned to be somebody that we're not. We're, as you also mentioned in your sermon, that's why we have so much in common. It's amazing. (laughs) But, you know, uh, we're told things about who we are that aren't true. And so sometimes, and, and we feel unworthy because we don't feel like we're allowed to be our true selves in the world, which I am on a mission to help liberate people from that. Um, as I believe you are too. Um, but so that's, you know, it can be dark and scary, but there's a lot of gold in there too, because you might be hiding beautiful gifts from yourself because somebody told you you weren't good at something and you really are. Right. You know? yeah, yeah. Well, we're unlearning constantly. As a matter of fact, there's a psychologist that I've just reckoned with, you know, accepting that that's his view. And this is my view because he really talked me out of my philosophy about having to unlearn something in order to be your true authentic self. And he said, as a psychologist or in his, in his study that, um, you know, you can never, once it's there, it's imprinted and you can't unlearn it. And I believe, well, maybe that's a perspective, but I do believe that you can uproot something if you find that that does not serve and you can plant something different. Oh, absolutely. So I'm with you. And also there's a lot of research that shows that there's neuroplasticity in our, in our brains. We can rewire. So yeah, we, that the evidence shows that we can rewire. Or else we're doomed, right? We're going to be in a a vicious loop that we're not going to be able to change. And transformation is not about that. Transformation is about change. Yeah. And so is healing. (laughs) Hello, dear listeners. I wanted to pause and check in with you. I love Sunshine Michelle's suggestion to sit with our darkness, to go into the unknown. You've probably heard of the hero's journey. Joseph Campbell wrote a book called The Hero with a Thousand Faces. In the hero's journey, you leave the world you know to find the gold. So, a knight goes out to slay a dragon and bring back the gold. Only in this case, the gold is already inside of you. And the hero's journey is not just for men. It's for women too. Do you remember Dorothy Gale in The Wizard of Oz? She is such a great example. She had the power to go home the second she got those ruby slippers on her feet. But she had to go on a journey to break through her limiting beliefs, to be able to own that power. She thought of herself as quote unquote, small and meek. She had to break through that belief to own her power. I'd like to think of it as a superhero's journey that includes all genders, all races and ethnicities. You have an origin story where you figure out that you are more than you thought you were. You discover superpowers you didn't know you had. And then you usually have to overcome some sort of kryptonite to use those superpowers on your journey. It's often what people think of you, as Sunshine Michelle pointed out. That's often the kryptonite. You know, the number one regret of the dying is that they didn't live a life true to themselves, but did what others expected of them. That's often the kryptonite that you need to overcome. And then you answer your calling to be a greater version of yourself, in this case, 
a superhero. And that often includes finding a tribe of people like you. So you find out you have musical gifts and you play in a symphony or you join a band. That's what I did. Or you feel spiritually connected and you join a church and perhaps even become a minister like Sunshine Michelle. So let me ask you something. What's your origin story? What were you told to be? I was told I was smart, that I should go to graduate school and become a professor of psychology. But that made it harder for me to recognize that I could sing, that I could hear music in my head, songs that wanted me to write them. Those musical gifts were hard to detect because I was supposed to be an academic. And I was surrounded by academics when I was studying psychology at Princeton. So I became a professor, but I joined a band and played music at nights and on the weekends. And that really helped me to own my musical power. And I eventually ditched my career as a professor and ended up getting a record deal years later in South Africa when Nelson Mandela was elected president. Now, I'm not gonna pretend that my journey wasn't full of twists and turns, because it was, but I learned. I got better at songwriting. I got better at singing. I got better at playing guitar. It's like Sunshine Michelle said, it's okay to fail. Just ask yourself, what can you do differently and try again? And I love this quote from Nelson Mandela. I never lose. I either win or learn. So dear listener, what career are you in now? Is it a good fit for you? If not, do parts of it fit? You know, it's okay to experiment, to go into the unknown and see who you really are. In fact, that's the only way you can do it. So if you could wave a magic wand and do anything you wanted, what would it be? Set yourself free. See where your mind, where your intuition take you. Might surprise you. It might not surprise you. Next, we're going to talk about how Sunshine Michelle felt called to be a minister and how you can pull your gifts together to answer your greater calling. Let's go. to talk to you about your choice to become a minister and why why did that pull at you what was it about being a minister that called to you you became a licensed practitioner in 1985 and then a licensed minister in 2013 and you were ordained in 2017 so i'm just curious to for listeners who are trying to find their calling what what pulled you forward towards that it's the, it's, it's pun intended it's that call Mm. It's the calling. So uh, the calling to me, this is deeper than a calling. Perhaps it's that what has been deemed as that still small voice within or that nudge within that intuitive, that instinct, that um, that knowing Mm -hmm. that we have and nurturing that so that we know I've been I remember many times being asked, well, what's the difference between our monkey minds, so to speak, our minds 
and this calling, the more you sit in reflection or meditation or spiritual practice, whatever your practice is, that could be walking, uh, you know, being in nature. There's so many ways to nurture the stillness within. The more you do that, the quieter that mind becomes and you the keener the other becomes where you know what is calling to you. And so it's not only knowing the calling, it's also having the courage, the strength, as my Grammyo would say, the holy boldness <laughs> to be able to follow what it is. Because I this is these are my theories. As humans, we we shy away from things we can't control. Mm-hmm. And so if we don't know what's on the other side of it, that's why so many people fear death, I believe, because they don't really know. I mean, some people have had bouts with death and they come back and they try to describe what it is, but some believe them and some don't. Well, nobody's really gone there, done that, and then really come back and say, this is the account of death, right? We don't know until we, in everybody's experience, who knows, maybe different. But, um, you know, until we can let go and follow that thing, I call it jumping off the cliff of faith. Mm. So if you jump off, the reason we're reticent to jump off a cliff is because we believe and have been trained. There's, there's reality in here that there's gravity that's going to pull us down. But faith is not about that. Faith is about spiritual laws and spiritual principles and believing and knowing something different on a different level. So if we jump off the cliff of faith, it doesn't have anything to do with gravity. For all we know, we can fly, right? And, you know, we take wings and fly, or there could be the biggest bouncy down there that we ever knew and that we we go down there and springboard up. We don't know. But if we find the faith and the courage to jump off the cliff in the first place and do the thing that we thought we wanted to do, what's the worst that could happen? If you lean in with curiosity and wonderment, as I was saying before, is, you know, the worst that could happen. Oh, maybe I might fail. What does fail look like? What does that mean? Well, maybe I might not do this, that, and the other. Well, is that failure really? Or is that simply that it had a, you, you, you had an expectation that wasn't met? And you need to shift the expectation. It's all a matter of perspective. So, you know, if you go do that thing, then, you know, what if you succeed? What if you, it's different than your wildest imagination. You won't know until you do it. Yeah. Yeah. I think, again, that's that conditioning. Some people don't want to outshine somebody in their family or there's something like that too. So I love what you just said, and also becoming aware of those things that might be holding you back. Right. Yeah. You have to have to allow yourself, allow that thought to come up so that you can even know that it's buried down in what might be on a subconscious or an unconscious level by sitting, by leaning in with curiosity, by doing these things that are going to nurture that space. And then when you see it, then you can go, oh, I thought I had healed from that, but that's still in there. Oh, what can I do differently? Or what can I do to help heal that? Then you have an opportunity. Then you can clear that so that you can springboard forward. Exactly. Yes. Oh, I love talking to you. 
<laughs> okay, I'm going to I'm going to switch over now to uh, you have a lot of degrees. You have a BS in organizational behavior from the University of San Francisco, um, Masters of Arts uh, from the Holmes Institute, and then you've got your doctorate recently, right, at in transformative studies from CIIS, California Institute of Integral Studies. I love that. I, yeah. I've never gone there, but I've gone to hear speakers there, and it's just yeah. wonderful organization. So I would just love to hear more about your doctoral work about authentic self-expression based on a sacred sister circle that you conducted. Love to hear more about that. Yes, I um, and I, you know, I was thrilled to realize that I could, through this programming, that I could actually get an academic degree that spliced into my spiritual passions and beliefs and and do the research, if you will. And I actually stayed away from that word research because, you know, it has imposed negatively on many people and, you know, um, uh, caused harm, if you will, uh, because they've been studied and looked at a certain way. And so I used the word inquiry uh, for the project and I um, used it very carefully and my language because language really makes a difference. And so I uh, created a sacred sister circle, which is a circle of women coming together. Uh, the indigenous circle in general is intended for healing. Whatever you come to the circle with, you come with an attitude and with an expectation of healing. Everybody comes with that open spirit. So whether it's, we hear more about it now, restorative justice circles, where you have someone who perhaps caused a wrong, you have that person and you have the person they caused the wrong upon all in the same circle for the purpose of working it out and healing it rather than going to some other system that is supposed to create justice that really doesn't. Um, so anyway, uh, I brought to, I had been doing sacred sister circles myself just as a mechanism to of a healing support for women. And so uh, what I did in this doctoral work was to come together and bring this group of women together, um, in particular, Black and Brown women, and even more specifically, women of African, Latinx, and, and or Indigenous ascent, together in this circle to explore what empowers them to express authentically? Like, why, why do you express authentically? And if so, why do you feel empowered to or do you not? And why is that? Having noticed it within myself, having, you know, appreciated those things within myself as a woman of color, I was, you know, and had come, had come to my own conclusions and I wanted to open it up to see if others had the same experience of, of similar cultural backgrounds and um, what the influences were. And it was so rich. It was so lovely to be able to, you know, uh, I was a part of the circle as a, as a participatory action oriented project. So I was a part of the circle, which I have always been a part of those circles. So it was a very 
unique experience. And actually I created a uh, new method actually um, through this whole thing because I didn't find anything that really fit what I was looking to do. And it, it kind of came about organically but it was called uh, feminist. It was it was based on uh, feminist theory, critical theory, uh, feminist participatory action, organic inquiry. Mm. So that's a whole new set of uh, principles to use as a methodology, a method and a methodology that I was able to, you know, coin as an original contribution within this body of work. And uh, it was just really, really, it's so instructive even now, you know, everything I do is about, just like you, I'm sure, is about uh, getting to who we truly are, your true calling, how, expressing from that place and not being afraid and, and, and using tools to, to do that. And so it's integrated into my sermons, as, as you referenced, and you know, my writing, uh, anything that I do, I'm usually always thinking about authenticity. And actually, I coined uh, another term. I coined several. And that's what you're supposed to do in doctoral in, in PhD work is make an original contribution to the field. So I, I coined uh, several different things. But there's this one that I, I've told you about several. Actually, I didn't intend to, but I did. Uh, but it's called the Authenticity Theory. Yes, I have. I was going to ask you about and that. And it it start it's ah uh, it's uh, actually it's a formula to it. It's uh, when I felt that when you combine authenticity with integrity, that it yields a sense of awe, a w e, as in the numinous, as in those things that are awe inspiring. And the way I. I, I came to that was just trying it myself through some of the things we've been talking about, like step, jumping off the cliff of faith and trying something, even though I was quaking in my boots and I really didn't want to do it. No matter how long it took me, I was able to finally jump and then learn from that and realize that it's like, ooh, I learned a couple of things and maybe I'm a little bruised, but that wasn't so bad. And I, let me try it again. You know, kind of like going on a roller coaster. You're scared the first time. And then once you finally get on it and you come back down, what? You want to go again. Yeah. <laughs> so it's the more you do it, the more seasoned you become. And the so that authenticity theory to me, that that sense of being authentic and, and being in integrity and being your true self, your true calling, continues in my mind to create a sense of awe. Like I'm just so awe inspired by the growth and development that I've experienced through some of these practices and it's, it's validated itself. So that's what it's all about. Have you been able to bring that into your HR work? I'm a senior minister now, so I do that full time. So right. I yeah, that, you have so many hats. I didn't know which ones were like spinning. Well, active which ones were like sitting. Um, yeah, but I was doing that. I was, but here's the funny thing, you know. And right now, I'm in a spiritual world. So as a, a spiritual director and a senior minister, I, I consider it like I'm the executive director of a nonprofit, right? So I still use my HR. Um, suite of skills and expertise right. every day. I mean, you know, but I, I, it, I actually put them together. 
I use my my ministerial consciousness and um, set of skills and my HR skills and my business related skills and putting those together has been lovely in in creating and in, in allowing myself to be who I am all the time as opposed to being in a corporate HR role and having to do all my spiritual stuff separate, which is what I've been doing all this time. I'm not surprised. I was wondering about that because I got on LinkedIn and I looked at your presentation of yourself on LinkedIn and I looked at your websites. And I'm like, oh, she's she's got two worlds going because I know that I've done it, too, because I've also been in the corporate world um, while I'm doing my music. I prayed about everything that I've said to you and your listeners. I have been employing myself. That's how I know they work. And so I ended up attracting to myself a couple of opportunities, this one included, that were in the spiritual realm, which doesn't surprise me at all. And I wasn't exactly looking for that. But when you open yourself up and say, okay, I want to live in on purpose and in service to life. And so I let me just do whatever I'm led to do. Uh, that's what came to me. I attracted it. And uh, I'm really glad about that because now I can just, you know, be myself all the time. Not that I wasn't, but, you know, when you're having to, you know, be here and be there, like you said, uh, it felt split to me. It felt like I was ready at this point in my life. Not that I didn't have an opportunity long ago, but I perceived it a certain way. Mm-hmm. And then I've gained wisdom over the years. And so here I am. Now's the time. Uh, dear listeners, I hope you have enjoyed this conversation with Sunshine Michelle as much as I have. I'll include links to her websites in the show notes. Isn't it interesting how three of her superpowers for HR, ministerial consciousness, and business finally all came together for her in a single calling. Sometimes that happens, and sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes we have to answer our calling on the side, and that's okay. Sunshine Michelle pursued spirituality, and I performed music on the side while we both had full-time corporate jobs. Even Superman had a job as a reporter for the Daily Planet. Remember Clark Kent with his thick glasses? He saved lives as a superhero on the side. That's a legit way to answer your calling. So if you have parts of yourself that don't seem like they go together, you're not alone. A time may come when you can bring them together, as Sunshine Michelle just shared with us. I left a career as a professor years ago, but I still love psychology and I still love teaching. Today, I bring music and psychology together in the workshops I teach to help people find their hidden gifts. After working with clients for 20 years, I know for certain that no two people are alike, not even identical twins. You were born with a unique purpose and a special set of gifts that no one else has in the world. But you, Now, you may find that you have a lot of superpowers and that you may have to express some of them as a quote-unquote hobby, and that's just fine. Research from San Francisco State University shows that 
people who have hobbies do much better at work than people who don't. So turn your phone off, shut your laptop, take a walk, get quiet. What is calling to you right now? Listen for that small, still voice that Sunshine Michelle spoke of, for that inner knowing. Your calling tries to get your attention in a number of ways. It could come through an aha moment, a mental picture, a gut feeling, a hunch, a meaningful dream, or even a body symptom. What is it calling you to do? Who is it calling you to be? Did you know that it's calling to you right now as you're listening to this podcast? Like Sunshine Michelle says, find the courage to tap in and to follow your calling. No one else can play your part in the world but you. Thank you so much, Sunshine Michelle, for sharing your wisdom with us today. Thank you for listening to Your True Calling. Please leave a review and share it with your friends. From my website, yourtruecalling.org, you can follow me on social media, learn more about my music and my coaching, contact me to find your superpowers live on the air, and help me produce future episodes by funding me on Patreon.